plan to present, and I hope you'll share in that excitement by being here for each of the services and bringing your friend or neighbor. We're going to be talking about some things that have to do with the question of why. So let's begin by looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 and 15. In 1 Peter 3, 15, Peter said, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What I want you to notice is that Peter said, be always ready to give a defense. The word that is translated defense is the word from which we get our word apology. The idea of apologetics, giving a defense. In other words, it means to give an answer. We're giving an answer, we're giving a defense. Truth has a defense to questions and to challenges. When we are asked questions about what we believe and why we believe that and what we practice and why we practice that, truth gives us a defense. Truth gives the answer. And when we give that answer, we're doing what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3. We need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to know why we practice what we practice. We need to know why we don't practice certain things and why we don't believe certain things. We need to be ready to give that defense. We need to prepare ourselves so that we can answer the question of why. Why do you not use instrumental music? Why do you not have women preachers? Why do you all believe Jesus was raised from the dead? Why do you believe that hell is real? Why do you believe baptism is essential? Why do you not believe in eternal, uh, the eternal security of the believer? Why, why do you not believe all of those things? Or why do you practice what you practice? Those are the kinds of questions that we must answer. So this weekend, we're going to be answering the question of why. Why do we do certain things? These are fundamental studies that are focusing on why we believe what we believe, why we practice what we practice, and why we don't do certain things. Why do we believe what we believe? So here are the lessons we have planned. Tonight, we're talking about why we believe that it makes a difference what one believes. A good beginning place. Tomorrow evening, we're going to raise the question, why we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And then on Saturday evening, we'll talk about why we believe there is just one church. And then we have three lessons on Sunday. Sunday morning, the first lesson will be why we believe miracles have ceased. The next study will be why we believe hell is real and eternal. And then we'll conclude on Sunday evening talking about why we do not believe once saved, always saved. Now, that's just the beginning of a list of a number of questions of why, but we're going to look at those in this series this weekend. So let's look at the question of why we believe that it makes a difference what one believes. Why do we believe that it makes a difference what one believes? Let's begin with the fact that this is a very popular concept. That is, this concept that says it makes no difference what you believe in religion in fact, most of our religious friends believe that it makes no difference. And here's the kind of things you'll hear. Someone may say faith alone is all that matters. Just believe on the Lord. It doesn't matter what you practice. doesn't matter what church you go to. doesn't matter what else you may believe. Just have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of wording that, someone may say sincerity is all that really matters. God doesn't care what you do, believe or practice, where you go to church, as long as you are sincere. Makes no difference what you believe or practice. Or one of the more common phrases is, it makes no difference what one believes. It doesn't make any difference what you believe. Again, as long as you're sincere, it doesn't make any difference what you practice. 
We're going to put that to the test in our study this evening. Or someone may say something like, join the church of your choice. Join the church of your choice. You find the church you like, practices what you like to practice, teaches what you want to believe, and you join the church of your choice. That says it makes no difference what you believe. Or someone may say one faith is as good as another faith. You have your faith, I have my faith. We have people of different faiths. And so one faith is just as good as another. And here was another very common concept, and that is equating good moral people with being Christians. You may talk to someone and they'll talk about their good Christian neighbors, or they, they work for a good Christian boss, or they have someone in the family that are just good Christian people. Well, I didn't know they went to church. Well, they don't go to church. I, I, I didn't know they were, well, they're not religious either, but they're good Christian people. They mean they're good moral people. And they equate that with being a Christian. So if you have good morals, it makes no difference what you believe or what you practice. Again, I want to emphasize that is a most popular concept in the religious world. In fact, most of our religious friends hold to some form of the idea that it makes no difference what you believe in religion. I want to demonstrate to you that this is one of the greatest obstacles to teaching others the gospel. I'm convinced this is probably the greatest obstacle to teaching others the gospel. And here's how that works. Here is a couple that we'd like to teach the gospel. Maybe it's your neighbor. You've been wanting to talk to them about the gospel. Maybe you wanted to invite them to this meeting. Maybe you've asked them about having a home Bible study. You haven't got anywhere just yet. And so what we're wanting to do is take the Word of God and we're wanting to teach that to this couple, but they have this concept in their mind and the concept they hold to is it does not make any difference what you believe in religion. And so as we make an effort to take the gospel to their hearts, the gospel can't get through that barrier because it doesn't make any difference. You invite them to church, they're not going to come. They didn't come to the meeting because it doesn't make any difference what, what you believe. They appreciate what you do. There's nothing wrong with what you're practicing, but, but uh, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. So that means then there's no need to study the questions that you want to study with them. There's no need to study that. You, you told them you'd like to talk to them about whether baptism is essential. There's no need to study that because it makes no difference. And you talk to them about, uh, I'd like to talk to you about the things we do in worship and why we, well, they don't need to study that at all. We don't need to study the issues and the questions uh, that divide us because all issues are trivial matters. Using instrumental music is a trivial matter. Is hell real? That's a trivial matter. Once saved, always saved is a trivial matter because it makes no difference what you believe in religion. And they're made to feel comfortable in the religion they have because they are assured it makes no difference what you believe. So that's why they're not interested in the Bible study. That's why they're not interested in coming. That is one of the, that is the, the, one of the biggest barriers we have in trying to get the gospel to the hearts of the people. So they may say to you, well, I already have a church, so there's no needing me coming to yours. See, that's like trying to sell a vacuum cleaner to somebody that already has a good one. They don't need another one. I don't need another church. I already have a good church. And so it doesn't make any difference. I'm not really wondering about whether it's scriptural or not because it makes no difference what you believe. Now watch this carefully. I want to suggest to you that that's one of the devil's most effective tools. That if he can convince people it makes no difference what you believe, then he is most effective in hampering the, the efforts of the gospel. 
And so it's one of the devil's most effective tools. It's one of the biggest barriers that we're dealing with. So let's answer this question. Why do we believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion? Well, here's the first answer to that. That there is such a thing as an objective standard. There is such a thing as an objective standard in religion. Now, when we talk about an objective standard, let's distinguish between an objective versus a subjective standard. What is the difference? Well, a subjective standard may vary from person to person. It's not objective at all. For example, someone may say, I'll tell you how I, I, what I think about that. I feel like, well, see, that's a subjective standard because you may feel different than that. You see, I feel like baptism is essential. Somebody, well, I feel like it's not. I feel like once saved, always saved. And then one else may say, I feel like not. I feel like God is approving of my worship. Someone else said, well, I don't think so. See, that's subjective. Here's another subjective standard. What I think or my family has always believed. Well, your family may believe different than my family. Those are subjective standards. Or someone said, well, I'll tell you what my preacher said. Well, someone else can say, well, my preacher said just the opposite of that. Well, then you come along and hear someone who said, well, I have a book that says, I've been reading in this book that's written about religious things, and this commentary or this book says, well, somebody else can pick up a book and say, you know what, my book says just the opposite of that. Those are, again, subjective standards. An objective standard is a fixed standard that works the same for all. That is, it works for the same for you as it does for me. There is such a thing as an objective standard. I want to suggest to you the Word of God is that objective standard. So let's look at some passages that we know well. The Bible mentions from a number of standards, we're going to look at several things that are all talking about the same thing, that the Bible is an objective standard. For example, 2 Corinthians 4.13, Paul said, According as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. What's he saying? That I believe according as it is written, not according how I feel, not according to as my father had said, or my neighbor had thought, but as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. So there is what's written of God. There's your objective standard. Another way of wording that is the oracles of God, the sayings of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the sayings of God. So there is such a thing as the sayings of God. Well, Paul said, the things that are right are the commandments of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. That tells me there are some things that are not the commandments of the Lord, but these are the commandments of the Lord. That's the same for everyone. That is an objective standard. The Word of God in 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians rather, chapter 2 and 13, Paul commended the Thessalonians because they had received the message as it is in truth, the Word of God. There's some things that are not the Word of God. This is the Word of God, though, and that becomes the objective standard. There are the inspired scriptures, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by the inspiration or the breath of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and for correction and instruction and in righteousness. Now, all of those are referring to the same thing. The inspired Word of God, the Word of God, the commandments of God. There is such a thing as an objective standard. There are words that have been chosen by the Holy Spirit. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.13, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so I'm learning again from that, there is an objective standard. Now, if there is such a thing as an affixed or an objective standard, now follow this carefully. If there is such a thing as a fixed standard, then I have to conclude that it makes a difference what one believes. Now let's come from the other direction. If it makes a difference what one believes, there has to be some kind of fixed standard then, doesn't it? They go hand in hand. So if there is a fixed standard, it makes a difference what one believes. If it makes a difference what one believes, there has to be some kind of fixed or objective standard. Now let's illustrate. Suppose you're building a house and so tonight you ask some of the people around here, I, I, I want some advice on how to wire the house. I'm going to do it myself, you say. And suppose someone tells you, you know what, it doesn't make any difference how you wire the house, just as long as the lights come on and the plugs work. doesn't make any difference how you wire the house. Well, let's, let's put that to the test and see. Let's talk about some subjective standards. I may tell you, tell you what, I feel like this would work. And you talk to one of the other fellows and he says, you know, I feel like different than that. I don't, think, I don't feel like that's going to work too well. I don't feel like that'll work. See, those are subjective standards. Or suppose someone said, well, I'll tell you what, I know an electrician who said this will work. This is the way you do it. And you ask another guy and he said, no, 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 no. My electrician, I talked to one and he said, that's not the way you do that. Those are subjective standards, aren't they? Well, somebody else says, you know what? My dad wired his house this way. And somebody else said, oh, and I'll tell you what, my dad did it different than that. Those are subjective standards, aren't they? All right. Someone else comes along and said, well, I'll tell you what, my neighbor did his this way. And another one said, well, I've got a neighbor that did it totally different from that. You can't figure out how you're going to wire your house, can you? Does it make any difference about an objective standard? You see, there is such a thing as called the natural, uh, National Electric Code that the state uses to approve of whether or not you're going to get your electricity turned on in your house. So if there is this objective standard, and there is, then it makes a difference how you wire the house, doesn't it? Let's come from the other direction now. If it makes a difference how you wire the house, there has to be some kind of objective standard. We don't go by how I feel, what my neighbor did, what my dad did, or what I may think, or what some electrician may have said. Now, if we can see that with wiring the house, we can also see that when it comes to the Word of God. Here's a second answer to that question. Why do we believe it makes a difference what one believes? Because there is an objective standard. We believe it makes a difference. Secondly, there is one faith. Now let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. And I want us to see that the Bible speaks of one faith, not of faiths, plural. Here's where the text says that. Here on the screen before you in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling. Now notice verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is through all and above all and, and uh, above all and through all and in you all. Now notice the text says one faith. The Bible speaks of one faith, not of faiths, plural. But let's go a step further. Let us consider that one faith means only one faith. And you say, how do you know that? 
And you know that means only one faith. Let's go back to that same context. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 4 mentions something else of which there is one. And verse 4 says that there is one spirit. Does that mean there are many spirits or does Number I've mentioned something that there is one of, and it says there is one Lord. Does that mean there are many lords or that there is only one Lord? It didn't say, quote, only one Lord, end quote. But one Lord means only one Lord, doesn't it? One spirit means only one spirit. Verse 6 mentions there is one God. Does that mean there are many gods or only one God? One spirit means only one spirit. One Lord means only one Lord. One God means only one God. So one faith also must mean only one faith. So why do we believe it makes a difference what you believe? Because the Bible says there is one faith. There is no such thing mentioned in the Bible as my faith and your faith and different faiths. Perhaps you have a friend or a neighbor that you talk to. Maybe you invited them to this meeting. And they may say something about, isn't it wonderful that people of different faiths can get together? That suggests one faith is as good as another. Or they may talk about, well, I know people of your faith believe this, but people of our faith and my faith believe different than that. The Bible doesn't use the terminology of my faith, your faith, or different faith. The Bible talks about one faith, Ephesians 4 and in verse 5. Let's answer our question again. Why do we believe it makes a difference what one believes? Thirdly, it's because it's possible to believe a lie and be lost. It is possible to believe a lie and be lost. Now, if you have your Old Testament with you, I encourage you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. And I just notice a case where one believed a lie and suffered greatly because of believing a lie, because he was deceived. Here is the case of a young prophet. does not ever mention him as being a young prophet. So why do we call him a young prophet? Because he's put in contrast to a man who was called an old prophet. He must have been younger. And so therefore we call him the young prophet. But be that as it may, 1 Kings chapter 13 tells us about him prophesying against the altar at Bethel. Jeroboam wanted him to come home with him uh, after several things had taken place. And I won't go into all of that because that's not important to the point of our story. But what I want you to notice is this in 1 Kings chapter 13. I want you to notice that when the king asked him to come home with him, he said that he could not do that. The man of God, verse 8, said to the king, if you were to give me half of your house, I would not go with you nor to eat bread nor drink water in this place. Well, why wouldn't you go back with him? He said this, look at verse 9. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. Here's what the word of the Lord had said. The word of the Lord said, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way that you came. Now here was the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter was that there are three basic rules. Do not eat bread, number one. Do not drink water, number two. And do not return by the same way you came. I know we understood it. So how do you know he understood it? He understood it from the Lord well enough that he could turn around and explain it to King Jeroboam, didn't he? Three simple rules. Can't go. Here's the, here they are. Now then, verse 11 says there was an old prophet there that we've already mentioned. And he asked his sons about all the events. They had told him about all the excitement that had gone on earlier in the context. And he said, which way did he go? And they told him and he saddled up and took off. Or had them to saddle up the donkeys and took off found him. And when he found him, he asked him to come home with him. And he said, no, I can't do it. 
I cannot do that. Why can't you? For so it has been told me, verse 17, read with me, you shall not eat bread as told by the word of the Lord. You shall not eat bread nor, nor drink water nor return by the same way that you came. I know he understands it. That's the second time that we know of he explained it. And explained it the same way he did to King Jeroboam. Here's the word of the Lord. Three simple rules. Do not eat bread, do not drink water, do not return by the same way you came. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18, he said, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel of the Lord spoke to me, the, um, an angel came to me and spoke to me the word of the Lord saying, bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. Now that was a lie. I know it was a lie for two reasons. Number one is, I didn't finish the rest of the verse. The verse 18 says, but he lied to him. That's how I know it was a lie because God said it was a lie. But I know it's a lie for another reason. It is the exact opposite of the truth. Do not eat bread, eat bread. Do not drink water, drink water. Do not return, bring him back. It's the exact opposite of the truth. But does it make any difference when this young prophet is... Does it make any difference about it? The truth and a lie, does it make any Look at verse one of those he believes. Does it make any difference about that? Look at verse 19. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and he drank water. Does that make any difference? Long as you're sincere, make any difference? Well, I want you to drop down with me now to uh, verse 24. So when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. God caused a lion to come forth and to kill him. And the old prophet said, his reaction was at verse 26, it is the man of God who is disobedient to the word of the Lord. It made a difference which one he believed. Here was a man who was sincere. He had been deceived. And he suffered the consequence because he believed a lie. Now, if you don't turn to another text with me, I hope you'll turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you talk to your friends and neighbors about whether or not it makes a difference, and you say, I, I've, I've, I, I'm going to only mention one or two verses, you've got to go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. You've got to go there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. And I want you to notice... But there is a contrast between the truth and the lie. I want you to, as we read the verse, I want you to notice the contrast. The lie here is not any lie that someone may tell you. Somebody lies about their age. They lie about their money. That's not the lie he's talking about because the truth here is not anything that's true. It is the gospel truth. It is the revelation of God. So it's anything in contrast to the revelation of God. Anything opposed to the revelation of God. Let's notice beginning at verse 10. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be condemned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. And we're going to read that again, but I want you to notice under the lie what happens. Well, there are some going to be deceived, verse 10. They do not love the truth, verse 10. They will be deluded, verse 11. They would believe a lie, verse 11. They do not believe the truth, verse 12. They have pleasure in unrighteousness, verse 12. The consequence or the result is they perish and they are condemned, verse 12 and verse 10. 
What about those who believe the truth? They love the truth. They believe the truth. The consequence, verse 10, is they're saved. Now let's go back to our text, verse 10, 11, and 12. And I want you to notice that everything that's found on our screen is in our text. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's verse 11. Now, verse 12, verse 12 said that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Every point is found in our text, isn't it? I'm learning two things. I'm learning, first of all, it makes a difference what you believe. But watch this carefully. I'm learning a second thing. I'm learning the difference that it makes. It makes a difference in con condemnation or salvation. It makes a difference in salvation or damnation. That's the difference that it makes. But let's answer our question again. Why do we believe that it makes a difference what one believes? Because one can be religious and at the same time be wrong. Now the idea that it makes no difference what you believe or sincerity is all that matters. What that says is it's not possible to be religious and wrong at the same time. If you're religion, religious, then everything's okay. You can't be wrong. God approves of that. But if I can show you examples, we're with Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at three examples now. Here's the first. Cain's offering was not accepted, Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. That's religious, isn't it? So he brought of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. He made his offering before the Lord. Now, Abel did something too. He also brought of the firstborn of the flock, verse 4, and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. I've had people ask me, why did God accept one and not the other? Was that kind of an arbitrary thing? But here are two men who come and worship before God, and God said, I'll take this one and I'll reject that one. Well, the Bible gives us a little more information about that. Let's go back and talk about what we just saw. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel brings an offering of the firstborn of the flock. We just saw that in Genesis 4. The Lord respected one, but he did not respect the other. Now, if God just arbitrarily did that, that makes God a respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 said God is not a respecter of persons. Acts 10 verse 34 said God is no respecter of persons. There must be something else involved. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 in verse 4 tells me a key to that. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That means that Cain's was not by faith. Does that mean that when Abel brought his offering, he said, I believe God will accept this, and Cain brought his and said, I don't think God's going to accept this. Is that what it means? He just didn't think it was? No, no, no. What does it mean to do something by faith? Remember Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That means that Abel offered his sacrifice in harmony with the word of God, where Cain's was not in harmony with the word of God. Abel did what God told him to do, where Cain did not do what God told him to do. Here's a case of being religious, but at the same time he was wrong. It made a difference what you believe and what you practice in religion. Here's a second example. The case of Nadab and Abihu, their sacrifice did not please God, Leviticus 10. 
In Leviticus 10, the text says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took fire. What do you mean profane fire? New International translates that an unauthorized fire. They offered profane fire before the Lord. But what about that profane fire? We're not through with verse 1. Which he had not commanded them. So they brought an offering before the Lord. They make a fire before the Lord that God had not authorized. Make any difference? Let's see. Let's see. Look at verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. It made a difference, didn't it? They were religious and they were wrong. It makes a difference what you believe, what you practice in religion. I said, we look at three examples. Here's the third. New Testament times, we come to Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Believers in Christ can be wrong and can be lost. Here is what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's religious, isn't it? They're calling upon Jesus as Lord. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. So not everyone who says, Lord, or believes in Christ is obedient. But we're not through. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, there's your religious. Have we not prophesied in your name? That's religious. Cast out demons in your name? That's religious. And done many wonders in your name? That's religious. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They were religious, but at the same time they were wrong. Therefore, we conclude it makes a difference what you believe. Well, finally, let's conclude by talking about we believe that it makes a difference what one believes because of the absurdion. What do you mean absurd consequences? Whatever position you take on any subject, whether it's religion or non-religious matters, has consequences that go with that. You buy into this position and you say, this is what I believe to be the truth, then you have to accept the consequences that go along with that. Well, the same thing is true with this idea that it makes no difference what you believe in religion. If that be the case, that means direct opposite doctrines and practices are equal. That means the doctrine that says Jesus is the Son of God and the doctrine that says He's not the Son of God, one is no better than the other. They're equal. Because it doesn't make any difference which one of those you believe, if this concept be true. The doctrine that says the Bible is the inspired Word of God and the doctrine that says it is full of error and it is not the inspired Word of God are equal. One's as good as the other. The one that says God created the world in six days and the one that doctrine that says God uh, did not create the world, it evolved, are equal. One is as good as another. Baptism is essential. Baptism is not essential. One is as good as another. The absurdity of saying direct opposite doctrines and direct opposite practices are equal. Here's another. We can do anything we want, and I mean absolutely anything we want in the name of religion. If not, why not? And the moment someone says, well, I wouldn't say you could do anything, well, then why not? Why not? Why can't we? Don't cite a standard. Well, the are you just all, uh, no, you mentioned kind of like going back to the wiring of the house. I can wire it any way I want if there's no objective standard. And the moment you say, well, you can't do that because of the coat. Oh, well, wait a minute. You just mentioned an objective standard, didn't you? we got to go by an objective standard. And it does make a difference. 
A number of years ago, there was a church called the Church of Love. I don't know if it's still in existence. It was out in the West somewhere, and they came together in the name of religion. And when they came together, my understanding was that instead of serving the Lord's Supper and singing and praying as we would think of in a religious service, they came together, remember it's called the Church of Love, they came together and fornicated one with another in the name of religion and called it a church. What's wrong with that? Makes no difference what you believe. Remember that. One church is as good as another. One faith is as good as another. What's wrong with that faith? And don't point to the Bible and say, well, well uh, uh, fornication is wrong. You're pointing to a standard. And it's making a difference now, isn't it? So if it doesn't make any difference what you believe in religion, we can practice anything we want, even the church of love. If not, why not? Now follow this carefully. If it makes no difference what you believe, and people tell me that all the time, I don't think it makes any difference what you believe. It doesn't matter whether you believe or not. Why not? It doesn't make any difference whether you believe. Name me one thing I've got to believe. You say, well, you've got to believe in God. Well, then it makes a difference. You've got to believe in Christ. Well, it makes, you've got to believe in the Bible. Well, then it makes a difference what you believe. If it doesn't make any difference, it doesn't make any difference whether you believe. And if it doesn't make a difference what you believe, it doesn't make any difference whether one believes the Bible. And the moment someone says, oh, no, no, I think, I think we've got to believe the Bible. See, that came from God. And so we, we've got to believe the Bible. I'm, I, I'll just have to say we've got to believe the Bible. What you're saying is it makes a difference. But, but you were telling me that it makes no difference what you believe in religion. If that be the case, then it doesn't make any difference whether you believe the Bible. And what that says is the Bible is unimportant. Remember the, the illustration of wiring the house? If after I showed you the code book, National Electric Code, and when someone says, you know what, I, I just don't think it makes any difference what you believe in religion as long as you're sincere. What you're saying is the Bible is unimportant. Now listen to this carefully. What that means then is that what God says is unimportant. Because whoever wrote the National Electric Code, I'm saying whoever wrote that, that doesn't mean anything to me. And when I say it makes no difference what you believe, I'm saying whoever wrote this book, that doesn't mean anything to me either. That doesn't border on, that is blasphemy. When someone says it makes no difference what you're believing, they're teaching blasphemy because what that's saying is what God says is absolutely unimportant. So why do we believe it makes a difference what you believe in religion? We believe it makes a difference because there is an objective standard, because there is one faith, because it's possible to believe a lie and be lost because one can be religious and at the same time be wrong and because of the absurd consequences to the idea that it does not make any difference what one believes in religion. So how does all of this apply to us? This is not just an exercise in, in some um, theological concept. You say, okay, I got it. And I, I, I now see that. This, this is where the rubber meets the road now. What does this mean to us? I'll tell you what it means to us then I have a responsibility to know what the truth is. If it makes a difference what you believe, Jesus said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I need to know the truth on whatever the question is. Baptism, 
Is, is this doctrine of, of uh, Calvinistic concept of eternal security, is that true? Is hell real? Is it eternal? I need to know the truth on that. Have miracles ceased? I need to know the truth. I need to know the truth. And that means then that I need to study and examine what I've been taught, like the brains who searched the scriptures to see if the things were so. And so some preacher says, well, here's what the truth is. I need to check. And, you know, an electrician says to me, well, this, here's how you do it. I'm not so sure. I might order to check and see if he's telling me the truth in the code book. Same thing is true when the preacher says, and I've got confidence, he knows what he's talking about, but you know what? He could be wrong. The electrician could be wrong too, couldn't he? He very well could be wrong. So I need to study and examine the things I've been taught or the things I read in the commentary. And then finally, I need to prepare to tell others why. That's where we started 1 Peter 3, 15. So when someone says, well, why do you believe? I need to prepare and say, okay, here's why. Because here's the text that says that. Because I believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion. There may be one more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come this evening believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins? Would you acknowledge your faith? Be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. If you're subject in any way, would you come? Well, together we stand and while we sing.